UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And this week, we are going to take a dive into the defense. Well, Clint, how do you feel about the defense coming into this abbreviated Big Ten season? Well, there's a couple couple uphill climbs that, that Michigan's got to deal with. I, I think uh, Minnesota on the road is a tough starting point. You know, they've got probably the best uh, receiver uh, returning in the Big Ten in Rashad Bateman. And Michigan losing uh, Amory Thomas at corner is a big challenge. So uh, it's a tough test right away. That's uh, that's a little bit rough. Um, but we will know we'll know right away, you know, whether Michigan's going to be up to the challenge. As we've said before, I think there's a uh, a lot of exciting pieces. Uh, obviously, um, Dax Hill into his second year is really excited to see. I'm excited to see what he does in terms of taking a step forward and you've got some leadership and, and experience at all three levels, uh, Quiddy pay and Aiden Hutchinson up front. Um, the return of, uh, the linebacker Ross, Josh Ross, uh, coming back from injury after last year. And then Brad Hawkins as a, a senior safety. So there's a lot of experience. There's new guys that are going to have to come in and, and contribute right away. Uh, young guys or, or new starters. So, um, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic, but there are certainly some question marks. So um, a lot to get into, a lot to discuss. So one of the things I'm most excited about is um, Quiddy Pay spent some time with the media last week. And, you know, it's really interesting to hear when guys talk about the reason that they come back, right? And, you know, he definitely had the option to not come back. And, you know, especially with all the drama of the of the COVID and everything else. And uh, I encourage everybody to go back and listen to that, to his uh, pod, you know, the podcast of his interview. But, you know, what it came down to is, you know, he said, listen, I came down because it made the most sense for me. And he wanted to come back and and win. You know, he said, listen, I don't have a ring. I came here to win and uh, I want to finish what I began. And it's just it's really nice to hear a senior come in with that kind of, of attitude and just kind of lay it on the line like that. Um, also, not surprisingly, and I think we can agree with this, he, uh, when asked about what he thought the strength of the defense was, he said the defensive line. And, uh, you know, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. You know, with Aiden Hutchinson, Chris Hinton, Carlo Kemp, and, and Quiddy Pay, man, that defensive line looks solid. Uh, what do you think about that group? Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that is a, a strength of the defense, and I think um, it's also pivotal. Uh, I think their performance, uh, positive or negative, is really what has determined um, the the overall success of the defense, at least in, in Don Brown's tenure. We know that Don Brown's defense is, is centered around uh, being aggressive, getting pressure on the quarterback, not giving him time uh, to throw. And when Michigan's defense has really gotten um, beaten badly uh, against Ohio State or, or in some of the bowl games or the big plays uh, against Penn State in 2017 and 2019, it's been because they, they were not getting pressure on the quarterback in those given moments. I think last year's game 
against Penn State, you really saw both sides of the coin. I think Don Brown and the defense played a, a whale of a game, except they gave up three explosive plays that turned into touchdowns. And, um, you know, where where K.J. Hamler uh, was was beating the, the secondary over the top, whether it was a safety one-on-one or whether they were in zone. So if you don't get pressure on the quarterback, then um, the, the top-end quarterbacks are going to be able to beat the, the coverage, whether it's man-to-man or zone. So it's really critical that uh, Michigan gets pressure on the quarterback. I think that was the main difference between the 2016 version of this defense and, and the 2018 version. Uh, as good as Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary were at end, um, there just there wasn't the push up the middle to uh, kind of collapse the pocket, and they didn't finish and get sacks against uh, certainly Dwayne Haskins um, against Ohio State or or the other you know, high level competition that they played. So that's that's really I think um, the pivotal thing is whether they're going to be able to actually finish and, and hit the quarterback and get sacks, drop them for big losses, maybe create some more turnovers than they have in the past. So I would agree that it's a strength. Um, the, the key is whether they play well and, and get significant production in the, the biggest games for Michigan in 2020. Well, and Don Brown likes to say that he likes to solve his problem with problems with aggression. And you definitely see aggressive play from the guys up front. I think what we've seen, though, is that it's it's a high risk, high reward kind of thing where like you said, you know, they had a couple instances last year where they got burned for big plays. And, you know, I think that, you know, when that, uh, you know, the defensive line can't get the pressure or can't get to the quarterback and, and do the things that they need to do, um, you know, you really need the secondary and the linebackers to pick that up. And I think that's where a lot of the questions begin on, on this defense, right? Um, you know, they have, uh, when we're talking about linebackers, we have Cam McGrone back, we have Josh Ross back, definitely some, some good experience there, but you know, you, you have some questions at Viper, right? Um, you know, it looks like Mike Barrett might be the guy, uh, uh, you know, coming out of camp or Anthony Solomon, but that is such an important position to have a relatively new player there. It's going to be interesting to see how that position uh, shakes out and, and if it can be as impactful as, they, as they're going to need it to be for this team to be successful. Yeah, that is a that is a big question mark. Um, I think I'm glad that there's a battle there. I thought that Barrett was kind of the heir apparent and, and was just going to step in there as a given. So I, I would take it as good news that um, Solomon is in that competition as opposed to a knock on Barrett. I think uh, – that's a, that's a positive, and there may even be some some situations where, um, if they have a slightly different strengths, you know, if one is better rushing the passer than the other, uh, if one is better in coverage, you know, that they may that may give some flexibility to Don Brown to change up, and use uh and use each one of those guys to their strength. I know that he that Don Brown mentioned that, uh, in his press availability, uh, in the last couple weeks that that's kind of the, the center of his philosophy is you got to let your players do what they are good at. So um, if both of those guys are good enough to be, um, you know, to kind of platoon or, or to be starters, then, then maybe there's a difference in skill set there that could be leveraged. And, and it, it sounds like um, 
sounds like there may be a couple places across the defense that that might be the case. I know there was a lot of uh, utility usage uh, last year with Josh Uche, for example, uh, Mike Dana uh, as, as a third defensive end, and Aiden Hutchinson moving inside, Quiddy Pay moving inside. So there were there were numerous uh, opportunities for for guys to show their flexibility, and I think um, we'll see more of that this year. And it'll be interesting to see how Don Brown can can use the different types of players he's got to uh, continue to attack an offense. Well, and one of the big questions that seems to be bouncing around is where exactly Dax Hill will be playing. We're expecting him to have a large role, but there are rumors that he may be moving from the safety position to the cornerback. And I can definitely see the possibility in that. Uh, and, you know, as you mentioned, competition is great. Uh, it's it's one of the things that I think that makes me feel good about this defense is while you may be losing your, your top three tacklers from last year and Khalid Hudson, Jordan Glasgow, and Josh Metellus, you do have a lot of experience and, and a lot of guys coming up to, to reload. How do you feel about the rumors about da- Dax Hill possibly changing positions? Especially um, at first, I, I was very – I was excited about it and took only the positive from it that um, – we're going to kind of free Dax Hill up to be as effective as possible for that week's game plan. You know, I, I wish if we could go back in time or, or, you know, if there was some way to kind of take sophomore year Dax Hill and, and lock him onto KJ Hamler against Penn state last year, if he was ready last year as a freshman to be able to do that, that game probably turns out differently, you know, cause I think that he's a supremely gifted athlete and, if he is um, kind of absorbed the defense the way that um, the coaches are, are kind of implying that he uh, he can kind of play safety or corner and understands both positions and what everybody in the secondary and what everybody up front is doing, then um, I took that as a positive, that, that that's just another weapon that um, Don Brown plans to use coming from different angles. And then, uh, you know, I calmed down a little bit about it and thought, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe they're worried uh, about their depth at corner um, with uh, Ambry Thomas not coming back. So uh, it might be uh, something to worry about. I think Vincent Gray, there's nothing to worry about there. Uh, I think he's been very, very uh, reliable and and, uh, gained a lot of experience last year, but it does kind of, call into question then uh, who are the other corners, the younger guys that have stepped up or have not stepped up, whether it's, you know, Jamon Green, one of the twins or DJ Turner, perhaps maybe there, there are some question marks there where we kind of expected one of those young guys to step up. Maybe they haven't. So I, I did get a little bit more nervous about those rumors as opposed to, um, as opposed to just thinking that it was a, another utility weapon. There's also an argument that with COVID and the potential for depth issues to become such a, a problem for any given program, really based on contact tracing and the rest, you need is if a guy has the skills to be cross-trained, then, then you should do it just for maximum depth and flexibility. So 
tough to tell, tough to read the tea leaves, whether it's a great thing or, or maybe a question mark about some of the younger corners, maybe a little bit of both could be true. Um, but I, I, I do take uh, Don Brown at his word that he really has the highest level of confidence uh, in, in Daxton Hill's ability to cover, uh, you know, pass coverage in one-on-one. Um, I never heard uh, Don Brown say that he's the best cover guy in the Big Ten about any of the guys over the past couple seasons that have been really good, whether it's LeVert Hill or whether it was back to Jordan Lewis or um, any of the, the previous corners that went into the NFL draft. So that's high praise for a guy that, that you know, if he's your best cover guy, then I think maybe maybe it, it does become a situation where you need to put your best on their best and uh, and then ask those other guys to make, you know, to, to run the defense. So we'll see. We'll certainly see right away. Uh, if Daxton Hill is trailing Rashad Bateman in, in Minnesota in the first game, then uh, then I would be very excited about that. Even if uh, Bateman um, wins a couple of those battles, uh, that that's okay. Um, because I think if Daxton Hill is is being weaponized to take away the other team's best receiver, then that's going to be a long-term great thing for Michigan's defense. Well, and that's going to be one of the struggles that Michigan faces along with other teams this year is you don't have those non-conference games that may be a little bit easier to give you a chance to experiment to see how things will shake out, right? Um, Basically, uh, if you have a guy in a new position, and again, no matter how talented a guy like Dax Hell may be, if he's in a new position, uh, it means a lot against Minnesota. That's a conference game. You don't have a game or two to, to kind of work out the kinks, to work out the bugs and, and, and see where you're at. So definitely interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, and again, if, if Dax Hill moves, ends up being at corner, you know, you have Brad Hawkins as a, as a real good guy at safety with a lot of experience. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how the pieces get moved around. And we know that Don Brown likes to shuffle and, and bring multiple uh, guys in to keep everybody fresh, you know, and the coaches have mentioned, as you've said, that one of the things they need to keep in mind is with the potential for not just, uh, you know, garden variety injuries to happen, but COVID, that everybody needs to be trained from, you know, the entire depth chart needs to be ready to step in because you don't know what kind of impact uh, a potential COVID outbreak may have, you know, and, you know, as we talked about last podcast, the way that the Big Ten schedule is compressed down, they don't necessarily have the option to move a game to a bye week or even, I think, you know, being that these are college players, I don't think that you're going to see what you see in the NFL where a, a game gets moved to a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday just uh, just to offset the potential losses from COVID. So I think uh, what we're seeing across the NCAA with other teams is they are going to play the games no matter how many guys are down. And I think one of the challenges that, you know, when, when you look at making your or getting enough wins to get into the conference championship and to play your way into the college football playoffs, what coaches need to be uh, ready to manage is how will they deal with potential losses to guys, to position groups, right? If, 
you know, you could con- could uh, you could conceive of if one guy in a position group uh, put- potentially comes down with COVID, with the way these guys are grouped together uh, in the in the tape room and 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 working real closely with their group, you could conceivably le- lose two or three or more players in a position group. So you may go down the depth chart very quickly. Yeah, that's certainly it's certainly possible. So um, I think that that will help. Uh, I, I think Michigan's approach to kind of cross training and having a lot of flexibility and hybrid roles on the defense uh, m- makes that whole transition in this very unique season uh, a little bit less impactful. I think they'll be more prepared for that because it's been part of their normal course of business on the defensive side. So might be something that is a somewhat of an advantage for, for Michigan comparatively, but, but who knows? I mean, that's uh, it, that's something that's almost totally out of the control of of the the program. So um, you just got to prepare for, for everything that you can um, and and then try to try to execute, uh, you know, on Saturdays with whatever the game plan happens to be. So, but you're right. I think I, I agree with you that uh, the plan is going to be to go forward with, um, you know, the game's going to go on regardless of who's out or how many are out. So um, it's really, it's really going to be about, you know, first of all, trying to stay healthy as a program, but also being able to step up when you're given the, uh, the opportunity and and some of those young guys and, and guys that we aren't necessarily thinking of or talking about right now are going to have to play a big role at some point. At some point, somebody that we're not talking about is going to have to step up and make a big play um, in order for Michigan to be as successful as we, we want and hope. Now, one advantage that I think Michigan does have heading into this compressed season is that, you know, it's generally a, a, a given that it takes – Sometimes several games, sometimes the entire non-conference schedule for offenses to really click. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's safe to just go with the conventional wisdom that defenses come up to speed faster than offenses. And if with the, with the amount of experience that the defense brings, the Michigan may have a real advantage heading into this early slate of offensives trying to uh, counteract and come up with with fixes to to take advantage of them so when I look at you know again when I look at the the experience that Michigan has especially on the defensive line I could see where that could cause some real problems for offenses as they try to scheme to 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 attack them and come up with with different things so I do feel good about the defense Um, you know I think uh, when I look at the defense I am concerned about, um, and again, not not Dax Hill or, or Vincent Green or Vincent Gray, excuse me, uh, exclusively. But again, what is that backfield going to look like, right? Um, you know, uh, allegedly uh, the talk out of camp is that we have a freshman DJ Turner who's in the mix at cornerback. That's a really big position to to put a a freshman out there, and. Not that it's a bad thing. I mean, again, if he's competing and he's showing himself to be the best player, um, but you have to wonder what that's going to be like and and what kind of learning curve he's going to face uh, when the games start for real. Yeah, and and that's that's a a very fair point. You know, um, DJ Turner is in his 
in his second full year. You know, he, he was a uh, he redshirted last year, so he's he's in. Uh, he's at least got a year of experience under his belt in terms of being a practice player, maybe playing scout team um, within the system. But your your points well taken. Um, the true freshman also that that might be making some noise sooner rather than later this year is Andre Seldon. He's a guy that is um, a little bit undersized, but really could be um, in a position to contribute right away in terms of one-on-one man-to-man coverage in the slot uh, on passing downs. Um, I don't think you're going to want to get him matched up against some of the taller, bigger, stronger, more physical receivers on the outside, but that's a position where um, he can come onto the field and just utilize um, some of the techniques that he learned uh, immediately this season and some of his natural ability and skill set to play one-on-one coverage as opposed to some of the different zone schemes or, or, or different more complex um, concepts that need to be learned. Uh, if he's, you know, you're playing the slot, whoever lines up, as long as he lines up on the right guy, covers the right guy. And, and can handle the motions potentially from the offense, then then he can contribute right away. So I expect to see Andre Seldon um, contribute early as a freshman. Uh, DJ Turner, I think, is going to be in the rotation at the corner for sure. But the other, from a coaching standpoint, another way to think about uh, a potential shift for Dax Hill is that maybe somebody at safety is stepping up to where maybe that's what freed up Dax Hill to become uh, kind of a roving player, whether it's, you know, some kind of where he's going to play corner or safety, you know, at different times of the season season or even within a game, you know, somebody like Sammy Faustin has been mentioned a couple of times. I know that the, uh, the defensive staff uh, uses their, their social media accounts and, and anoints their due to the day, through these uh, workouts and camp time. And Sammy Faustin has been mentioned and and won those daily awards uh, a couple different times. So uh, if he has really emerged um, to play next to Brad Hawkins as a safety, then that might be what has, has kind of allowed Dax Hill to be kind of shifted around as opposed to plugging weakness. Maybe it's the emergence of, of another strong player that, that allowed that. So, We'll certainly see uh, what the difference is. Um, we'll we'll be able to tell again with the uh, spread concepts that Minnesota has and the weapons they have, and a returning quarterback uh, in Tanner Morgan that is uh, that's very competent and and can really read a defense and coverage. We're gonna know who Minnesota thinks is the weak point in the secondary um, right away in that game. So. Uh, that will be something that is very telling in the first half of that game. And then we'll see uh, that person who is being targeted by the, by the Minnesota passing offense. We'll see how they step up and answer the bell. Well, from a coaching standpoint, I was also thinking about with the strength that we have on the defensive line, just to step away from the defense for a second, you got to believe that the Michigan offensive line is getting a really good look from these guys. And, you know, I, I was reminded of that when hearing, um, you know, coaches and, and players talking about Joe Milton throwing the ball, okay? And, uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of hype about, 
you know, how far he can throw the ball and that Josh Gaddis has told his receivers, you know, you keep running because he's, you're not going to outrun him, right? You better keep running. The ball is going to be in the air for a while. But I was thinking about that from what does that mean from the safeties and the cornerbacks, right? You got to believe that they're getting a really good workout in coverage and hopefully, uh, we'll see a, you know, reflexive, uh, you know, thing where if the defensive line can push our offensive line a, a lot and give them a lot of good experience, hopefully um, Joe Milton and the receivers are giving uh, these new guys who are getting a chance at corner and at safety a really good workout as well. You know, because, again, these guys are playing against each other. They just started hitting last week. So hopefully, uh, you know, everybody is helping, you know, everyone get better. So uh, I think that's that's something to – hopefully hang your hat on and, and feel good about that. Um, again, if, if Dax Hill is, is being asked to cover our receivers, those receivers are getting a good workout. So hopefully it's, it'll be good for everyone. Yeah, I, I agree that that competition would, would certainly help make uh, everybody better as long as, is, you know, it, you're getting the right, uh, the right strong players in there and competing with the right attitudes, which uh, seems like that mental makeup for this, this particular version of the Wolverines is, is a strength. I think that um, again, that would circle back to a lot of the the leadership that you see on both sides of the ball um, as being positive leaders. So uh, I agree that, that, that healthy competition will, even if it uh, doesn't immediately pay dividends, that's the kind of thing that you could see a lot of improvement um, from a, a, any particular young player um, who's had to kind of battle through those challenges uh, at practice every day, um, you'll see a big difference from week one to, you know, the end of the season in December. So that's it's a very good point and uh, something to keep an eye on for sure. Another thing that occurred to me is that, you know, as the players were speaking last week, they were really excited to be actually going live and hitting. But if you think about it, this, you know, I'll say this extended camp that we've been having, right? Really, it lends itself to the wide receivers and the cornerbacks and the safeties, right? I mean, those guys, if, you know, you assume they've been going up against each other, there's not to say that they don't hit, but a lot of the work that they do and getting comfortable in the position doesn't require hitting. So I think those positions may benefit the most from this extended camp of no hitting that so that's one thing that crossed my mind that you know while we they haven't been able to go live you know those guys go pretty much pretty live pretty close to going live when they're going up against each other in drills and things so hopefully it will lend itself to to quick success and uh, a, a great great start for Michigan as they get ready to start their season in a few weeks. Yeah, I think w- one last point that I wanted to make sure that I, I addressed, or maybe you heard the same thing or maybe something different, but I thought that I heard at some point through the defensive press availability that Carlo Kemp is going to move from from nose tackle out to three technique and that it's actually going to be Chris Hinton or and or Donovan Jeter at nose. Did, did I hear that correct, that Kemp is going to go out to three tech? I heard that that is uh, the potential for that move and that we could see that. See, I think, I think that's a huge improvement over the case, over what was happening last year. I think Kemp performed admirably at nose, but 
know, he started as a linebacker and then became an end and then kind of grew into the interior defensive lineman. Um, he was voted a captain last year. So I, I, I know that he's going to step up and, and do what he's asked for the team. But I, I think he's a more natural physical fit at the three tech where he will be much less likely to, to be taking on double teams. I know Chris Hinton is over 300 pounds. He's probably 305 or 310. And Kemp, Kemp is probably closer to 280 or, or 285. So just if if Chris Hinton, Donovan Jeter, maybe Mozzie Smith is a is a redshirt freshman, or the the former walk-on Jess Spate, you know, the brother that of the former quarterback, those guys, if they are actually playing nose and garnering some production from their interior defensive line, I think that also is a benefit. Um, but if we see Carlo Kemp, number two actually making plays along the defensive line, then we can directly attribute that to one of those other guys stepping into that nose tackle role and eating up blocks the way like uh, a Brian Monet used to and, and allowing Kemp to get into a, a, a three tech role where hopefully he can be disruptive. Um, something kind of like what uh, Mo Hurst did for the, the really good defensive lines uh, under Don Brown. Well, you beat me to my question, Clint. I, when I was looking at how good this defensive line potentially can be, I was thinking back to when the Wolverines had Rashawn Gary a few seasons back. And one of the things that he did is he was a double-team attractor, right? And he took a lot of criticism because people felt that he should have uh, performed even better and been even more of a breakout player. But if you'd go back and look at the tape – he would, ease, he would usually be double-teamed and sometimes triple-teamed. So the question I had for you, looking at the way this defensive uh, line for Michigan is stacked up, who do you think is the player most likely to attract double-teams and the most attention from opposing offenses? In terms of attention, it's going to be Quiddy Pay. I think Quiddy Pay uh, got a lot of hype in the offseason because he went uh, through some of the combine – um, drills and, and kind of tested the water on, on what he would uh, what he'd be rated uh, in the NFL draft so that he could make a, an informed decision uh, whether to opt out or opt in you know a lot of his numbers from uh, those workouts opened some eyes and there were some some national media articles that were written about Quiddy Pay being a physical freak similar to Rashawn Gary so I think just because that kind of struck a nerve nationally when everybody was very football starved and reading everything that was every football content that came across the screen. I think people really dug into, I would expect Quiddy pay to be the one that garners the most attention. So um, if that holds true and uh, teams are really making sure that they can account for Quiddy pay, um, then I think your, your biggest beneficiaries again, will be, um, first of all, Aiden Hutchinson, who should get uh, be the benefit of, of being single blocked most times on the opposite side, kind of like Chase Winovich uh, when he was opposite of Rashawn Gary. And then also Carlo Kemp um, would be another another person that can really benefit from some one-on-one having from winning some one-on-one battles against uh, a guard as opposed to trying to 
to beat both a center and a guard. And then also, um, if he's attracting a lot of the attention out there on the outside um, and you have Kemp uh, next to him, who's maybe a little bit more mobile as a three technique than some of the different twists and stunts that you can do um, may be uh, more disruptive than, than what we saw in 2019. So I think people are really going to pay attention to, to Quiddy pay the most. And I, I think Hutchinson and camp will be the beneficiaries. Excellent. I, I agree. I think that's a, that's a great call. So when we think about this group of, of linebackers, and, you know, we're talking about Cam McGrone, Josh Ross, Mike Barrett, uh, perhaps Anthony Solomon and, and Ben Van Sumeren. Who do you who would you pick to be the breakout player this year? Heading in for, with what we know now at the linebacker level, I would say um, breakout player. I, I'd have to say Cam McGrone just because he didn't have quite a full season as a full time starter last year. To, to kind of set a baseline, but the player that he was at the end of the season, if he continues to build there and then maintain build from there and then maintains that through the whole year, I think people are going to be talking about him um, having an NFL decision to make pretty soon. Um, I, I think that he's going to make some big time plays uh, depends on depending on his acumen as, as a pass rusher, we may see him utilized similar to how Devin Bush was on those inside blitzes uh, to try to create pressure. So he'll make some high profile plays. So if I had to say breakout, uh, it would be Cam McGrone, but that is not to say um, the one that I think is the biggest and most important for me is actually the return of of Josh Ross at the will. Uh, If you remember last year, uh, Jordan Glasgow stepped into the will role um, and was everywhere all over that defense and was, was really stout against the run, uh, even for, for somebody shifting from Viper. So I, I think Josh Ross is really in a position where he may, he may lead the team in tackles this year if he stays healthy. I think he is going to be sideline to sideline all over the place um, where, where Cam McGrone may make some, some more high-profile plays and maybe a few more highlights. I think Josh Ross is actually going to be racking up uh, maybe even more tackles on a game-to-game basis. I agree. Cam McGrone really, really showed himself to be a great player toward the end of last season. Um, You know, looking for him to be a breakout. I'm really interested to see how the Viper position is going to break out this year. And, you know, I'll be be watching Mike Barrett and Anthony Solomon. Uh, Looks like those two have the – have the uh, the bead on on being the viper and with how important the viper position is to um, you know the Don Brown defense, you know it may not be a, a a situation where they lead the team in tackles, but I'm really looking for some memorable big plays from them. Um, so definitely uh, again a lot of interesting stuff to watch from the linebackers and you know we talked before. So if we're going to do the same kind of evaluation when we talk about the, the safeties and cornerbacks, um, you know, if we're talking about Dax Hill, Brad Hawkins, Vincent Gray, and DJ Turner potentially, um, I think I know what your answer will be, but who do you think will be the breakout player out of that group? Yeah, I've, I've got a, a similar answer to the linebacker level. I think, I think Daxton Hill is going to make a lot of high-profile plays 
he's going to be in some very high profile matchups. I think, I, I do think that he's going to end up being the, the, the cover guy that ends up following the most talented receiver for the other team. Um, you know, that's one of my predictions, uh, for how Don Brown will adjust to some of the issues that he's had. So I, I think that he's going to get a lot of national attention. I think the, the broadcasters, um, that are doing the Michigan games are going to talk about Dax Hill. So all of that's going to kind of uh, begin to snowball and get bigger and bigger. And I think he'll step into that role and, and shine. So in terms of breakout, I would say it would be Dax Hill, especially compared to last year. But the most important player in that group is going to be Brad Hawkins. It's going to be Brad Hawkins getting everybody aligned correctly into the correct coverages um, if Dax Hill is switching roles between corner and safety, uh, there's going to, ha- there's going to be a, a really huge need for some senior leadership next to whomever steps into the safety role next to him. Uh, if I had to guess right now, I would say probably Faustin. So, um, I think Brad Hawkins, his absence at the end of last year is a big reason as to why, uh, Michigan just could not stop Ohio State and, and then had trouble late uh, against Alabama. I think the, his absence w- was the biggest glaring problem, and it did not get uh, get mentioned as much as I thought that it probably should have. So I don't know that he'll break out and make as many of the, the high-profile plays as Dax Hill will, but I think he – is absolutely critical. His performance this year is absolutely critical to um, Michigan being able to be successful on the defensive side of the ball. What I'm really looking for from this group is for someone to break out and, and have four or five interceptions, right? And I know it's kind of a wish list thing. You know, one of the things I struggled with last year was, you know, Lavert Hill had 10 breakups. But the most interceptions that anybody had on the team was three. And there were so many opportunities, I thought, last year where um, a step here, a turn there, uh, you know, a, a turn in their head at the right time. I really thought the defense several times, especially in some of the big games, was really close to having some, you know, epic game shifting interceptions. And that's what I'm looking for Um from Dax Hill, if, if, especially if he shifts to the cornerback position. You know, I think that the experience he has of seeing the field from the safety position and as he transitions the cornerback, as I think he will, it'll be really interesting if he can turn his physicality and his athleticism to, to making that happen. So I think that's one of the keys to this defense really being epic, and I hope that's what we see. So that's, that's what I'm hoping for from that group. So um, as we prepare for this upcoming season, um, Clint, which player who left the team from last year are you most going to miss? Which defensive player? Um, I, Ambry Thomas is the one that hurts the most right now just because this team would have been stronger, you know, if, if the Big Ten hadn't phantom canceled the season – and Ambry Thomas was on the roster right now, that would be a, a different team, period. So um, that's the easy answer. It's the one that hurts the most right now. I think um, 
I think everybody else that left, I think Lavert Hill, um, I think Vince Gray is going to do a fine job filling in for Lavert Hill and they won't be, I don't think they'll be hurting too bad for, for coverage guys in the back end. But um, this team would be so much better if, if Ambry Thomas and Brad Hawkins were had <laughs> half of your secondary and then, and then, Obviously, the flexibility that we're talking about with Dax Hill um, could be even more of, of a weapon as opposed to using it to plug holes. So I, I got to say that um, as my answer, just it's the most recent departure. So so maybe it hurts most, but I think functionally it probably hurt the team the most, too. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's no indication that Ambry Thomas is going to come back. Uh, there's always the question people seem to to ask and hope, and there's been a, qu- a couple questions at the media uh, opportunities where people have asked players, "Hey, have you talked to Ambry?" and and kind of the the, the unspoken question is, "Hey, is there any chance he's going to come back?" Um, you know, the player I'm going to miss the most, and and mostly I would say just from his heart is Jordan Glasgow. He was everywhere. And, uh, you know, a player I really enjoyed. And, and again, it's not that I don't, I didn't enjoy watching Khalid Hudson play or Lavert Hill, but Jordan Glasgow was just a machine. And uh, I thought a, a really, really pleasant surprise as how he developed as a player and, uh, you know, a great guy to talk to and, and you know, to somebody who was all over, seemed to be in the middle of every play and, uh, you know, with a lot of relish. So, um, so, um, Clint, do you have anything else to cover on this podcast? Well, I, I think the absolute most critical thing for, for this year's defense is going to be finishing uh, the pressure that they get on the quarterback. We have to see uh, the defensive line or the, the blitzing linebackers, safeties and corners actually get home and disrupt the quarterback enough to where he makes – errant throws or getting deflected balls or, or stripped, you know, uh, strip sacks and, and fumbles. So to me, increasing the amount of times that you hit the quarterback, but also actually uh, disrupting the passes is going to be, that's the opportunity that this team has to improve over what they have done in, in 2018 and 2019. So that's what I'm looking for is really, the stat, the production stats out of the defensive linemen, uh, and maybe if if Cam McGrone and or Josh Ross, or Barrett or Solomon, if one of if the, one of those guys turns into a, a pass rush specialist or a blitzer, then I would include him in that conversation. But they've got to start getting home. They've they've got to get one step quicker. They got to cut the angles just a little bit tighter. They've got to actually get their hands on the quarterback and, and disrupt those throws um, and doing it against Maryland and Rutgers isn't going to be good enough. They're going to have to, they're going to have to do it against Penn state, Minnesota early in the season. And then, you know, or uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota early in the season. And they're going to have to do it uh, against Ohio state and Penn state late in the season for, for Michigan to achieve what they want to achieve they're going to have to create turnovers by, by hitting the quarterback. And that, that goes on your, your senior leadership or your upperclassmen leadership um, in that front seven. So it's got to get better. 
And uh, like I said, we'll know in that first game right away whether uh, compared to last year, whether they've taken that step forward. I agree. I think if I if I had to summarize it, the defensive line has to live up to the hype, right? Because when you look at them on paper, they they could be, they should be dominant, and if they can if they can do that, that'll give time for the other positions to shake out. But they're they're going to have to do it. So, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with. Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.